Hello, this is Darren Pulsifer, Chief Solution Architect of Public Sector at Intel. And welcome to Embracing Digital Transformation, where we investigate effective change leveraging people, process, and technology. On today's episode, we're going to talk about an argument for multi-hybrid cloud architectures. When I normally talk about multi-cloud architectures or strategies or things like that, I always go back and look at my infrastructure maturity model that uh, we've established, which guides organizations through where they currently are today and where they can get to in the future, almost like a, it's like a map that shows them where they're currently at and where they want to go. And where we want people to end up is with this real-time service level agreement or service level managed um, architecture that's self-healing, that uh, dynamically changes uh, where workloads are running from either on the public cloud or the private cloud, depending on environment and thing that, things that are going on. Organizations that had already adopted a multi-hybrid cloud strategy and or architecture uh, when COVID uh, pandemic hit and everyone moved from working in the office to working at home, found it much easier to make that adjustment because they could easily move workloads to cloud to handle the larger workloads of um, in getting people into services that were in their data center or by ramping up and changing uh, their own private clouds um, and public cloud mix, right? Because they had that multi-hybrid cloud philosophy, architecture, and strategy, making those moves was very easy. In the ultimate data center, the ultimate infrastructure, that change would happen dynamically without even human interaction. And that ultimate goal that we want to see people move to is the goal that we have here. So if we take a look at your typical organization, I typically start at the standardized phase where I am buying server hardware for specific applications. They have a huge move to go to this multi-hybrid cloud, especially if they're still thinking that way. And COVID has kind of acted as a catalyst to help people move to this maturity model much faster. So today we're gonna to discuss what are the next steps? Um, how do I move up that chain? What technologies do I have to have in place? What strategies do I need to, to use to move faster up this maturity model? And also you wanna know which direction to move because you could, especially right now, because people are throwing a lot of money at this problem, you could actually create a bigger problem if you're not careful. So we're gonna take and take a look at some steps to move to that multi-hybrid cloud architecture, which will support um, these types of incidents and will and it actually helps you future-proof where you're going. Now, one thing that most organizations did about four or five years ago was they switched to a private cloud um, concept, whether it was with VMware's VCF or Nutanix or OpenStack or Cloud, stack there were lots of things out there they all built around this concept of a software-defined infrastructure you know software-defined infrastructure means that through code i could dynamically 
allocate infrastructure for the needs of my application or my services, which means I could grow them or shrink them. So elasticity was built in. And I wanted to do this hands-free or automated as much as I could, which took the human out of the loop, which decreased the cycle time it took to spin up new applications and new infrastructure for those applications. Now, software-defined infrastructure, pretty mature today. There's lots of great um, offerings out there in that space. But it only takes you so far up that maturity curve that we've talked about. It takes you all the way from standardized and virtualized to automated and partway up into orchestration, when I can now start orchestrating different applications between each other through infrastructure uh, provisioning. But to move it up to full-blown orchestration and service-level-based orchestration, policy-based orchestration, and all the way up to being able to pool resources better uh, through infrastructure pooling and all that, I need more than what software-defined infrastructure has provided. And the second part is where the multi-hybrid cloud architecture or strategy really comes into play. So if I can move up into that realm where I have a multi-hybrid cloud, now I can dynamically move workloads based off of policies and environment that is happening. So let's take a good example here. Let's say that in my organization, a lot of my workers use virtual desktops. And let's say some of those virtual desktops they're using from in-house, or maybe it's their desktop under their desk, but now they are working from home. In a software-defined infrastructure world, I still have a little bit of an issue. I may not have enough machines in my private cloud to handle from moving from maybe 25% of the workforce working from home to 85%. And in this example, let's keep things simple. Everyone's doing virtual desktops, so VDI. Now, in reality, that's not true. But in this example, let's just say that is. That is a huge uptick in the number of people, almost you know three times as many people now using those services. In a software-defined infrastructure world, I could reallocate some of the workload from other things that aren't being used anymore into this VDI um, uh, cluster, right? This VDI service so that I can serve up more. In a multi-hybrid cloud, I could even offload some of that possibly to some of the public clouds as well. And I could look at my users and say, well, the work that they're doing is not um, protected IP, you know, secret stuff. I'm more willing to let that go into the public cloud than in my private cloud. And you could make those decisions and allocate pools of resources based off of that dynamically with a multi-hybrid cloud. Now, the ultimate part of this is now, instead of just worrying about one application, worrying about all the applications. How are all the applications interacting with each other? What's best to run on what public cloud, on what private cloud at this moment in time? And eventually that's where we want to get to, where my IT infrastructure 
includes public and private cloud and policies and cost and reliability um, and all these other things that you have on there, service level agreements, quality of service, can all be taken into account. And now workloads can land where they need to based off of those policies instead of having a human come and move things that, um, themselves. This could all happen dynamically and can change over time. Just like when COVID pandemic hits, or maybe when we can start going back into the office, is it a big lift to move back now? With the multi-hybrid cloud concept, that wouldn't be the case. It could happen dynamically for us. Okay, let's take a look and see how do I cover this gap between software-defined infrastructure and the multi-hybrid cloud infrastructure? Because most organizations have some kind of a private cloud or a public cloud. They're already dealing with infrastructure-based allocation and software-defined infrastructure. So in order to actually create a multi-hybrid cloud, there are different tool sets that I need to bring together um, to make that happen. So one of the first tools that we need is an automation framework. I need to make sure that when I'm deploying applications and or services, that the configuration of those services and the management of those services can be automatic. If it's not, and it includes a lot of manual interaction, then you lose some of the flexibility of the elasticity and the dynamicism that you need in order to, to make your multi-hybrid cloud really hum. So having an automation framework is important. The next thing that's important is a platform as a service. Now this is primarily used to help for repeatability um, and reusing of services that you want to deploy across multiple clouds, uh, both private and public clouds. So you need this platform as a service as like a catalog of, hey, if I say I need a Mongo database or I need a SQL database or an Oracle database, that I can deploy it and it can be deployed in any one of the clouds. Yeah, platform as a service makes sure that um, when I say Oracle database, that I mean Oracle database on all those platforms, right? It does work in conjunction with your automation framework and we'll show you in a minute how that integration is important as well. And then the next set of tools that you need is a cloud management platform. The goal of the cloud management platform is to manage resources across multiple clouds and to give you kind of like a single portal into your cloud resources. It will also shop around with a cloud broker in there. It'll shop around and find out which cloud has the right resources uh, depending on the policies that you've established. So I need all three of these tools in order to really come up with a multi-hybrid cloud um, operational model. So let's dig into these tools a little bit more, each one of them, um, for this multi-hybrid cloud. So let's first look at automation frameworks. Now, Automation frameworks have been around for well over a decade, probably even longer if you go back to the script monkeys of the 90s, where this really started in the, in the configuration management tools, uh, your build tools and things like that. I would say one of the first automation frameworks out there uh, that was popular 
in the uh, 90s and early 2000s was make make systems right so automation frameworks really kind of started out of that configuration management and build area migrated to something that today we call devops and now we're calling sec devops or devsecops so your automation framework there's some great ones out there these tools are very mature tools like um salt stack ansible chef puppet and even some of the newer ones that are um, doing automation with containers um, in, in, in that space. So automation frameworks, very important, geared towards your DevOps world more than anything else. It's coming out of that world. It gives you flexibility so I can deploy a service onto multiple different OSs or even multiple different clouds that may interact differently. Um, they're very repeatable, so I can easily drop a new service um, in a repeatable manner against multiple applications very easily. And its whole purpose is the deployment and provisioning of the application once the infrastructure is stood up. So automation frameworks are key. Again, comes from the DevOps world, important um, aspect of your multi-hybrid cloud. The next area is the cloud management platform. Now, cloud management platforms really come from your IT organizations. They want to be able to see all the different clouds that their customers are using, right? That their end users or, you know, their uh, software developers or even the actual customer to your organization, right? They are very operations centric. They're all, all geared towards infrastructure much more than towards um, applications and services like the automation frameworks. Um, they all support multiple clouds. If you have a cloud management platform that only supports um, a public cloud and its hybrid cloud offering, that's not a real multi-hybrid cloud or a real cloud management platform. There's lots of tools in this space, both free and paid for. Almost every vendor now has something in the cloud management platform space. VMware has one. Red Hat has um, one. Nutanix has one. Um, Dell even has one. Cisco has one. So there's a lot of great tools out there in this space. Do your homework on the cloud management platforms. Make sure they can support both public, multiple public clouds, as well as multiple private clouds including OpenStack, VMware, Nutanix, um, Hyper-V, um, and some of the other um, uh, hypervisors are important as well. So keep that in mind when you're looking at your cloud management platform. The third area is your PaaS, your platform as a service. Now, this has been around a long time too, and it really didn't take off as much as everyone thought it would. And I think some of the reasons why is because it was too restrictive. And most app developers looked at it as, as oh, you go to the PaaS layer and the GUI, as soon as you say it's web-based, you lost a lot of developers. They, they're like, web-based? That's not for real programmers. So we didn't see PaaS take off nearly as much as we thought it would, um, but it's taking a resurgence because PaaS kind of learned from its mistakes there they now move to more template-based um, descriptions of services. 
so that I can now define a service. I can use the service. I use the web interface to find new services. And then I can check those templates into my code base and tied with my automation frameworks, all this together can now communicate to a cloud management platform. And it gives me now that reusability of services, deployability across multiple um, clouds, and the ability to schedule or orchestrate across those clouds with the cloud management platform. All three of these things together help build that multi-hybrid cloud. And it's really the integration of those concepts together and those tools together that really gives me that multi-hybrid cloud architecture that I'm looking for. So let's take a look at what a multi-hybrid cloud would look like operationally from the IT perspective and the dev uh, developer um, perspective, your dev um, app developer, okay? So your IT guy, first off, they're motivated by optimizing, protecting, and reliability of their infrastructure. They're always driven by cost. They're, dri they're driven by protecting the infrastructure and the IP, and heaven forbid anything go down. So those are very important aspects. And by, because of that, they tend to be more risk averse, so they want to make sure that everything's working all the time. Now, app developers are a different beast. They're motivated by quick, re, um, quick iterations, wanting to um, deliver products quickly and efficiently because they're more about the competition on getting their new products out the door. Now, when we look at multi-hybrid cloud, we have to realize it includes private clouds, public clouds, and your legacy applications, your legacy infrastructure that's out there as well. So I really need in this that hybrid orchestrator. And that's where your cloud management platform has the beginnings, right, of your hybrid orchestration because it can connect to the public and private clouds and there's a way to actually connect it to legacy applications as well. Okay? Now, just connecting them up is not good enough. I also need to be able to have your app developers communicate with your multi-hybrid cloud through that hybrid orchestrator. And they really don't want to do it through a GUI or a web interface. They really want to check in a file, a manifest file, a template-driven right, concept where I've checked in a YAML file, for example. It describes my application, the services involved, the quality of service, how, you know, what, what's needed, the feeds and speeds that are needed. They would love to just pass it into a, a hybrid orchestrator and let it go and do all the work. Now, once you're inside, I need to make sure that I have secure inner cloud communication between things. Because if I just create an application that can only run in my private cloud, I'm back to a very static way of getting work done and it locks me into one solution. Now that would be the same as if I was running on just a public cloud. So you wanna make sure that I can communicate securely between the different clouds and your legacy applications as well. Now, once I've done that, now that gives me that flexibility of running my workload across cloud boundaries. 
So that gives me more flexibility. For example, like I said before, with like a virtual desktop infrastructure, if I just tie that to just my private cloud, then when I need burstability, it's gone. I don't have that without buying more equipment. Well, I may only need this for a month. So maybe the best option is to set it up so it can burst into the public cloud as well. And I can handle the workloads. Um, I can handle the workloads across cloud boundaries very easily. In order to do that, you need to make sure that you have secure intercloud communication. Another thing that you need to have is common authentication across the whole ecosystem. Now this is important, especially when you have multiple clouds. Um, I need to be able to authenticate the same person across your multiple clouds or the same service across multiple clouds and your legacy infrastructure. So come, having that common authentication is extremely important in that um, respect. Now, I hope that you've seen that throwing a multi-hybrid cloud strategy is not as easy as just going out and buying a solution. It requires forethought. It requires integration of tools and it requires you to have a vision forward on how you can change your organization and your infrastructure to handle this new way of thinking. Thanks for listening to Embracing Digital Transformation today. If you liked our episode, go ahead and give us five stars on your favorite podcast or video streaming site. You can also find out more on embracingdigital.com. Until next time, keep moving forward and embrace the digital revolution.